Hi, welcome to the Sayers Conversations podcast. Today, our very special guest is Andrew Nowicki, the director of GrowthScope. Enjoy. We're going to talk to an old client of mine, Andrew Nowicki. Now, Andrew is the director of a business called GrowthScope. Um, however, there's a whole backstory that uh, we're going to come to. Uh, this is our series around just what you know to be true. Um, we're talking to marketers, experienced people, um, because um, I suspect, and I suspect this will be proved out, that there is just stuff that's just true when it comes to marketing. So, Andrew, welcome to our conversation. Thank you, Russell. This is Freddie here as well. I forgot to introduce Freddie. Freddie produces for us. And at the end of the podcast, I'd like to ask Freddie if he's got any questions for you as well. So, um, you know, and he tends to. So stand by. No worries. Okay, so, Andrew... All right, let's go to now. Um, so you're part of a business called Growth Scope. So it's it's in the research uh, field. Just give us a bit of a, just give us the sell on that, and then we'll get into you. No worries. Um, we sort of came to the conclusion that there's lots of insights out there that are the domain of the biggest players in the market. Um, and in reality, big players spend millions of dollars building these insights. Yeah. Um, and they don't find their way into normal players or other players in the market. And then there's this information asymmetry out there that's, um, I suppose, providing an advantage to some players and disadvantaging others. Uh-huh. Um, and so we decided to syndicate the idea of a usage and attitude study. <laughs> yeah, though I like it. I like it. I'm laughing because it's like one of the things I know to be true is one of mine is usage and attitude studies are really good to do. Absolutely, Go. fundamental, <laughs> fundamental to success. Because if at the end of the day, and and I get to the, what do you know to be true as well? Yeah. Marketing is about changing markets right. in your favour. Right. Nothing else. Okay. If markets is a, if marketing is about changing markets in your favour. Markets are a function of buyers and sellers, and buyers buy for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. You have to understand why buyers buy to be able to change what they do in buying from you. Okay, done. Simple as that. Okay. And a UNA study is the insight that you need to do that. So one of the reasons why I wrote that on my list was my suspicion was that the UNA was something that you and I learnt when we started in the business a long time ago now. Yep. Uh, and yet it's one of those ones which I don't know whether the right words are. It's sort of unfashionable. Is that fair? Or maybe I'm just, I, I just haven't seen it very often and that's, I've concluded therefore it's not out there, but it actually is out there. It is out there. It is out there. And what we're actually finding, like I, 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 I launched this to target the middle ground originally. Right. Our, our, right. our aim was to give sort of middle tier players access to insights they could never afford to buy themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What we're actually finding it's the big boys that are buying us. And the reason they're buying us is because it's cheaper. And it's cheaper than what they were already doing. Right, okay. And two, it adds value to what they were doing because we track. We, we UNA studies would typically cost anywhere now between half a million and a million bucks to do. Big expenditure for a big company to invest against. Hell. Yeah, top dollar, top dollar. Because you have to you have to interview twenty thousand people, right? For it to be fair, or run, to, to be real, correct. So you know you want to talk to twenty thousand people, right? Um, you then got to have a pretty serious data science team, research team, and 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 capability behind that, which means that you, you you spend a lot of money on consulting hours, getting the data that you need out of it to make some choices. Uh-huh. 
We sell it for a hell of a lot cheaper than that oh, okay. because we do it. You know, we started this thing and we've kept it going. So in effect, you've got a panel or you've got, um, it's, or it's randoms? It's randoms. Uh-huh. It's randoms. Every single day we ask a couple of hundred Australians what they, what they drank on their last drinking occasion. Right. Okay. And, and, and our focus is alcohol at the moment mm-hmm. because it's a big category and there's lots of players and lots of opportunity out there. Negroni. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we track what's going on. It's interesting you say Negroni because the the on trend or off trend. It's on trend and spirits is on trend. Spirits and especially glass spirits are the growth area in the market at the moment. They're really really taking off. They've um, they they started to kick in during COVID. Yeah. Um, and there's this double win that's happening with them because. Surprisingly, glass spirits. Is that when you say glass? What do you mean by that? Bottle of whiskey, a bottle of vodka. Oh, okay. Sorry. So, a bottle of whiskey, a bottle of vodka yeah. per serve. It's the cheapest grog. Yeah. It's about a dollar fifty a shot. Right. All right. No wonder you, you pay two bucks for a beer. Right. You pay a wine can be cheaper. Wine's a lot cheaper, but yeah. it's pretty cheap, right? Right. Relatively, um, and it's quite efficacious. Yeah. And it's highly um, customizable. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, and and there's a degree of um, theatre that yeah, you can attach that's to. That's right, it. that's right. And during COVID, it, it took off. Yep. And then it's just kept on going, stronger and stronger and stronger. I did, I did get into the idea of quarantinis during the co- <laughs> during COVID. You're right, it did, it did become a part of my ritual, Freddie. <laughs> okay, so we've we've got to the end before we've even got to the beginning. So the yeah. beginning, you you and I, we were. I mean, I think it's fair to say we were early. Um, degree guys in marketing. Yes. Right. So yeah. just tell us about, you know, that little part of life. Oh, yeah. Well, I um, I went to high school and did work experience. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And, and the work experience lady or the work, what is it, the careers lady at school said, yeah. I think marketing might be something for you. And I said, well, what's that? And she yeah. goes, well, go and do some work experience. And I, I got sent to... At the time, it was Florsheim Julius Marlowe shoes out in Coburg. They <laughs> yeah, used to yeah. make the shoes in Coburg. Yeah. And, and, and this guy, it was the product manager, was my boss, and he just said, look, just tail me for the week. We'll have some fun. And we, we went in factories. We went to ad agencies. We went to promotional shops. We right. went out for lunch. Yeah, great. We had a great time. And I, and I saw this sort of lifestyle of sort of this blend between business and creativity. Yep that excited me because all of a sudden I realised I didn't have to sit at a desk all day just punching numbers into a computer screen. I wasn't even a computer screen at that stage, into, yeah. my, into, my, um, into my notebook trying to work out what was going on. And all of a sudden there was a, a job that got me out and about, got me thinking differently on different things at different times that had an outcome. I thought, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. So I um, um, hightailed it into Monash Uni and they yep. David Sign Business School and yep. did the marketing degree there, yep. which at the time was pretty much the only marketing degree yep. uh, available in the country. And and I say to my kids because they laugh at I did a marketing degree because now they're a dime a dozen, and they're pretty easy to get into. In those days, that marketing degree needed an ATAR equivalent of a law degree did to it? get into it. Oh, yep. well, I'll have to tell everyone that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for publicising that. So, I have found that. To this day, I still think like I was taught to think back then. Yeah, me too. Right. So just give me a bit more insight into, so we're aligned around that, just to help me, help, help, let's sort of unpack that. Sure. So just come on, tell me about what you learned there. Well, we learned, you learned the basics, you know, the, the, the absolute fundamentals. So we, we were taught that, you know, day one, what are the four P's of marketing? Yeah. It's not just comms as people would call it now, the four P's. 
What's the product you're selling and how are you going to affect that product? What's its distribution? Where is it available? Where does it, how do you get it to that point of availability? What do you need to focus on? Yeah. How do you promote this? What's your promotional strategy? How do you make people aware of it? How do you get people to rebuy it? And then, um, <laughs> sorry, product, price, yeah, yeah. promotion, yeah. Um, pricing. Pricing. Pricing, the most important of the four Ps. There we go. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> the most important of the four Ps. It's fundamental to everything. It drives, it drives revenue, it drives money, it drives profit. Right. But it also drives image. It drives repeat and it drives loyalty. Yeah. So I'm, I'm recalling, I reckon, a conversation you and I would have had a long time ago now, maybe 15, 15 years, where, I don't know, did you conclude the price was the most important or I did? Oh, you did, of course. <laughs> I think you did. Genuinely, I think you did. You know, where you actually, when you boil it all down, in the end, price is what matters. That's right. Right. And it's what matters because you've got to have created a equation that the consumer agrees, agrees with. That's correct. Right. And whether that is an equation is just pure attributes or attributes plus benefits plus some perceived value, if you like, then price is the key determining factor. Absolutely. And it's, it's the scoreboard. It's the scoreboard. You know, if, you, if, if I can sell the same commodity that you're selling for double the price, right. then I'm a better marketer than you, aren't I? Right. And so how do you do that then? by creating value. There was a, a really powerful statement. It was made by Charlie, I've forgotten his second name now, yeah. Charlie from um, McDonald's. He was the C global yes, CEO. Yes, yes, yeah, the Australian global CEO. Of McDonald's Corporation. Yes. And then he used to say, value equals experience over price. Uh, yeah, okay. Value equals experience over price. Well, there's a book in that. And the key, the key element there is if you want to create value – and value is about what the consumer believes they're paying, you have to increase, you either reduce price in that equation yep. or you increase the experience. I love and, it. Yep. And, and the focus, therefore, if you think about McDonald's, what they do is deliver value by delivering a, a better experience at a good price. Well, in fact, if you go back into the sort of the case, the Macca's case study, they went through a bad period, mid-90s, I think, and they were thinking, oh, maybe it's because we've got polystyrene packaging. Remember all this? Yes. Yeah, but then they actually worked out it was price. Mm. Um, you know, they worked out that actually Macca's was flying in the 60s, 70s because the percentage of a burger as, as part of your disposable income was whatever it was. Let's call it 5%. I'm yep. sure it was way less. And they worked out that actually over time their pricing had gone off in terms of value for money when it comes to disposable income. Mm. It's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Mm. I, I have a point of view that beer needs to do that. I think beer is doing that right. to a degree. Um, beer needs well, – what's happening with the beer? The beer market's a, a real problem and has been for 20 years. It's Every year um, per, per capita consumption's in decline. Yep. Um, and, and so in that world, the, the beer guys have to extract every penny they can mm. from every sale. So, you know, if you, if you went into Lion or CUB or even Cooper's, you'll find this huge revenue management team, these, these PhDs and, econ and economists that yeah. are there working out the value of every possible permutation they can sell that beer for at the highest possible price. Yeah. And it's, it, so I've been wondering if they need to go back and say, okay, beer was at its height when it was x percent of disposable income now when i look at the price of average price of beer as x percent of disposable income my guess is it's more but i don't know i think you'll find definitely the case if you go to the pub yeah 
It's definitely the case if you go to the pub and you get a craft beer. Yeah. And it's definitely the case if you choose to buy a pint rather than a schooner or a pot. I'm, I'm, I'm over pints. Anyway, keep talking. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if you think back to our youth when we go across the road to the race course yeah. in Caulfield, um, there were no pint, there were no schooners, oh, there were no pots, there was no craft beer. <laughs> there, sorry, let me start. There were no schooners, there were no pints, and there was no craft beer. All right, you could buy yeah. a pot, yep. a Carlton draft. That's it, a pot or a glass, or a jug. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That's true. That was it, and it was pretty easy. You just asked for a pot, a pint, or a glass, and you got Carlton draft, and that's what you drank. Yeah, and it was affordable and easy yeah. and. Great value at that point in time. Well, I'm just wondering whether there is a McValue opportunity for beer. There may not be. Speaking of the stuff that we just learned, um, it was only the other day I said to um, some colleagues, "We need to. We, I, I think we need to see a chart that's got who, what, why, when, how." <laughs> Do you remember that one? Yeah. Which we, is what I sell. That's my business. That's basically what you that's sell. That's my business. We, yeah. I can, we, we do this who, what, why, when, how, and how much. Right. And it, and because we're doing alcohol, who with because mm-hmm. that's fundamental. Yep. Um. And, and we do that and we track that and we measure that and we can answer that question right. to any client that rings us yeah. and we help them solve for that problem. And once you know that, once you know that yeah. then you can know, well, which who, which why, <laughs> yeah. which how, yeah. and, and how do I get as much of I can from that? So are we going to put that down on our list of things that, you know, just we know to be true? Yeah, absolutely. Do a who, what, why, when, how chart, right? Yeah. Now, we haven't even spoken about your, your career because if you had a – you had a really mega career. There's no question that in terms of that, you call them the big boys earlier, you, you plugged yourself into the big boys and, yeah. you, and you went a long way. Yep. So I met you Cadbury days, of course, uh, and then there's CUB days. But just give us, just give us the, you know, the, the medium-length version <laughs> of the achievements. You know, I got two, right? And yeah, so no all modesty aside, let's just hear that. Hear that. Um. I got to get a graduate position at Cadbury okay. out of uni. Good. Um, and that was the, the big ticker. You know, you talk about everything. Luck, luck, in, luck in careers is, is as important as skills, capability and, and performance. Yeah, I know that to be true as well. My, my lucky break yeah. was getting into the graduate role at Cadbury um, because that got me into a great marketing organisation with great brands and great processes and great skills. Yeah. At the beginning. And so I was, I, I came into a business and learnt from the ground floor. And I was lucky at Cadbury because on day one of my job, I still remember this vividly, James Tan was my boss. He pulls me into the office on the first day of my job in St Kilda Road and he takes me on a tour and introduces me to everybody. And then he sits me down at his desk and goes, how was that, Andrew? I said, great. He goes, now just remember, everyone you spoke to has got a degree. Yeah. And most of them have got a postgraduate degree. Yeah, yeah. So just remember where you sit in the pecking order yeah, yeah. out of this. That yeah. was this first thing. The second thing he did was he then he gave me a cab charge docket, which you don't get anymore. He gave me a cab charge docket and he said, now go out to Ringwood to the sales office and meet this bloke and I'll see you in a year. Ah, very good. And he sent me out to the sales office and I became... Oh, yeah, I remember this. I was a graduate. Yep. So, you know, graduate with a degree, pretty good degree, worked pretty hard to get there. And my first job, he gave me a crappy old yellow Camaro without air conditioning, right. told me to fill up the boot with um, purple dump bins, gave me a list of shops to go to, and, and I spent the next four months driving from shop to shop, supermarket to supermarket, 
pricing chocolate blocks and building chocolate displays. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. That was it. And yeah. then, and then, and then, you know, four months doing that, and then they said, okay, we'll let you go out on the road and sell, and then we'll let you work with an account manager to learn how to sell to a national account, and then you can come into the office right. and start brand marketing. Yeah, but that's a good way to start, of course. That's oh, golden. Yeah, golden okay. because I learned the market. Yeah. I learned what was going on. How could I? How could I ever launch a new product if I didn't know what the sales guy was going? So through? that's interesting, isn't it? I wonder whether a truth that I, I, something that I know to be true, is get some sales experience. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, again, back to the four P's, isn't it? One of those P's is is place, mm. which is a distribution, which is availability. Yeah. All right. The only way you get availability is through a salesman. Yeah. If you don't know how the salesman has to do his job, if you don't know what the salesman's got to get through to get to where he has to go to, there's no way you'll get that distribution. Okay. And so your marketing will fall over. Okay, so then you all, you went into the marketing department. Went in the marketing department, did a few, yep. you know, brand manager this, that and that and this, sort of played on every category, eventually became... The boss, right? Yes. Well, before I became the boss, they sent me to England and then they sent me to work in China. I became the boss in China yeah. for, for, a, for, for a couple of years. In marketing, so the marketing director for Cadbury China and the marketing director for Cadbury Japan, um, and then I came back as the boss for the drinks business, which was a real change for me. So I came back as the marketing director for Schweppes and Coddies, which is when we met. That's it. Um, and um, that was the the big aha for me. So I'd spent ten years of my career selling chocolate, and all of a sudden now I'm the boss of a drinks business. I knew nothing about drinks. I was blind. Mm-hmm. And so what I knew to be true at that point was if, you, if you're blind, you've got to trust the people around you to get you there. Right, okay. And there were some really solid and great people that knew what they were doing. Um, and, and, and in that world, you learned about the business again from a different perspective by trusting everyone that you're working with. Um, but there'll be some just truths, I would imagine, that you just go, yeah, I, it, well, it's about price, it's about distribution. So there'll be some who, what, why, when, hows. Oh, always, yeah, yeah, always. Fundamental, fundamental, you know. And, and the, big, the big one in beverages the big I know to be true yeah. is there's an inverse relationship between price and the time between purchase and consumption. Explain that to me. All right. I'll explain it this way for you. This is the best one of all. No, I'd actually, no, I'll explain. If you, go to, if you go to the supermarket and you buy a 24-pack of Solo, yes. you'll pay 50 cents a can, 60 cents a can for that. Yep, okay. All right. That same can... It's sold to you in your local Chinese restaurant with dinner for three dollars fifty. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But you pay three dollars fifty for it. You're happy to pay three dollars fifty for a fifty cent can. Yep. Because you're buying that fifty cent can at the point you're going to consume it. Right. And the same thing happens. You go into a Seven Eleven. It's a stinking hot day. You want a drink. Yeah. That same can of Solo is going to sell for two fifty. Right. Okay. And it's fifty cents in the supermarket. And that holds true in everything you do. Right. Um. And that holds true in the liquor market as well. You right. know, to the same point we said, if you, if you buy Corona mm-hmm. at Dan Murphy's, mm-hmm. you buy a case of Corona at Dan Murphy's, you pay 55 yep. bucks, 50 bucks for it or something. Yep. So let's say, what's that, $2 a, yep. $2 a, a stubby. You buy that same Corona at a, at a beer garden on a hot day, right. you're paying 12, 13 yep. bucks for it. Yeah, happily. All right. And, and, and the difference is when you're going to drink it. But if you're, in that, if you're in that Dan Murphy's and you want a cold six-pack of Coronas... You're going to pay 25 bucks for that. Yeah. That's more expensive than buying four for 50 bucks. And they know that you're willing to pay 25 bucks for that because you wanted cold ones and you just wanted a small one to drink now. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So you were oh, yeah. CMO of Schweppes? CMO of Schweppes yep. and Cotties. Yep. 
And then um, then they had a restructure, and I became CMO of Total Cadbury Schweppes Australia in yeah, New Zealand. That's it. And that was a big that was a big job. And then what about innovation? Because innovation then became part of your world as yeah, well. Yeah, I used to run innovation. Yeah. I was an innovation director, and then I went off to. I finished the. I did did the CMO job at Cadbury's for about five years. Yep. Six, seven, seven, no, eight, about eight years actually, all up. Cadbury yep. Schweppes, about eight years as CMO, um, and then I went off to work in the global teams at Cadbury. So I was the global innovation director for emerging markets. So I had Africa, India, Southeast Asia, Middle East as as my markets. Pretty good. Very interesting stuff. Really good. Really yeah. good to learn from. And and I was the regional category head for chocolate. So I used to run the chocolate for Asia Pacific. Okay. And so to, I want to get to the markets. Um, so let's say the Chinese market. So yep. yeah, you worked there for a long time. And I remember hearing, oh, well, you know, good luck in China. They don't really eat chocolate. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe a different market that you had to market to. Yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you, there's a story there too. There's a really really powerful story in China. And this, this is the other one of what I know to be true. And, you know, I said, listen to your team and have good team around you and recognise the value of institutional knowledge. Yeah, recognise yeah. recognize what the people around you know and have learnt right. and use that. Um, and I'll tell you, the story in China was we used to sell 150 gram blocks of chocolate. Like here, you know, wrapped in foil. In those days, wrapped in foil, covered in paper. Anyway, so... and and. At, at, when you worked at Cadbury, there was it was like a party every day. You know, there was there was a fridge in the corner full of soft drinks and a bowl of chocolate and lollies on every table. Yes, and you could just nibble away and eat your chocolates. And so I was having a meeting in China, and we had our big bowl of chocolates, and we had two kinds of chocolate in this bowl. We had these big blocks, and we had these little things. And they called them linglong. Uh-huh. All right, they were five, six gram pieces of chocolate individually wrapped, right. and they sold them in bulk. They used to make them and sell them in the um, in the in the sort of the the marketplaces where people could go and buy like a scoop of them and yeah. pay by weight for them. Yeah, got it. Yep. And they were in the lolly bowl as well. And so we're having this meeting about something. I can't even remember what the meeting was about with all my team. And I'm watching them. And the only chocolate they're eating is those linglong ones. Of course. And they're opening them and they're peeling them. They open the wrapper and they peeled it like it was a banana. So they opened the wrapper, peeled it like yeah. a banana, yeah. pulled the chocolate out, but held the Held the chocolate in, in the, the hand in the, the wrapper, yeah, yeah. and then took the paper and chocolate to their mouth, ate the chocolate, and then throw the wrapper away. And I'm just watching everybody doing this in this meeting, and I'd never seen this sort of behaviour before. And I just said, "Stop, stop! Why are you eating that chocolate and not that chocolate?" And they said, "Oh, that's dirty." Yeah. And I said, "What do you mean that's dirty?" I said, "Oh, well, to eat that chocolate, you have to open the foil, touch the chocolate." open it, break it, break another piece off, give a piece to someone that you've touched and put the piece that you've touched in your mouth. And they said, but our hands are dirty. Yeah, yeah, well. Why do I, who's going to eat that? Right. And I popped around and I said, that's just a really interesting thing. I said, who thinks like that? And they said, everybody in China. <laughs> all, all one billion of us. <laughs> right, so you change, so, so, so you package the thing. No, well, I said to the guys, I said, why... Why doesn't anybody know this? Yeah, well, totally. Why doesn't anybody know this? We, you've been working here for five years. And here's the really powerful answer, which is, well, that's not our job to tell you how to market your product. You are the expert. It was your product. You've yeah. invested millions of dollars in this factory and this business. We're not here to disrespect your experience. Yeah. 
Well, disrespect away. <laughs> That's what we want, right? We changed. Yeah. Sales doubled. Yeah. And we hit profitability for the first time ever. Oh, there we go, right? And um, and and then you said, uh, I want to go to where? Back to Australia. I came back to Australia, worked yeah. at Schweppes. Yeah. Um, did that. And then did the Cadbury thing and then went off to Singapore. Okay, that's right. I knew there was a Singapore in there. I lived up in Singapore and that's when I did the regional stuff. Right, okay. So, um, and then, of course, you're part of, well, significant restructuring of the whole organisation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then found yourself at CUB. Yes. So tell us about CUB. Fascinating. Fascinating business. Um, It was just a powerhouse of incredible business margins and incredible brands all cobbled together in a way that hadn't been how would I, it, it it was a it was it was an incredible successful function of its past glories yeah yeah um and and at the time what we learned was that what i learned when i walked in there and i went there as the innovation director looking after the new product development and I had a couple of people working for me and we were to create stuff. And the day I walked in there, I, the boss, the CEO comes in and says, Andrew, welcome. Go forth and prosper and make us grow even faster. Yeah, yeah. And I need extra bubbles in that. Please. Right. And um, I said, yeah, no worries. I've been looking for your portfolio strategy in the business. I'm trying to find out and understand how all of the bits and pieces here fit together mm-hmm. so I can know where the gaps are mm-hmm. to go after. Mm-hmm. So where are the opportunities in the market? And he looked at me and said, geez, that'd be good to have one of those. We didn't do that. Do you right. know how to do it? And, and you got, the, the issue was this was an organisation which had built on itself. And so here was a capability yeah, that just didn't momentum, exist. Momentum's just, just there. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's a capability at that time that didn't exist in the business. He said, do you know how to do it? And I said, yeah. And he goes, all right, well, go and do one of those. We need that first. If right. you need that to do innovation, right. go ahead and do one of those. And guess what we had to do to do that? Um, you had to what do a U and A? Correct. Yeah. So uh, a, a gap analysis <laughs> yes. is perhaps something else which is useful in the list of things that I fundamental. <laughs> right. yeah. where, 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 what's happening today? Where are we today? Yeah. yeah. Where, what's what's the roles and goals for every one of our brands in the mm-hmm. business? Yeah. And how do they all fit together? Because a business, the challenge in marketing is a lot of marketers would look at the individual brands, and so you speak to marketing directors and they talk about the execution of individual brands. And when I was a marketing director, that was my, that was my mistake as well. I, I didn't know how to build a portfolio strategy. No one taught me and it yeah. wasn't part of yep. what I did at that time until I went into the global strategy team. Yeah. Um, so I would always think in the context of the individual brands and the result was the aggregate of those. Yeah. Where in reality, great businesses recognise that individual brands and individual products in their portfolio have unique and different roles to play. And within, make, within your corporate portfolio? Within the corporate portfolio. Making some choices about where to play are the most important choice you can make in the business. When you do a gap analysis, um, can you get right down to the tactics that you need to employ? Yes. Yeah. Yes, of course you can. Yeah. Because your gap analysis requires you to understand how much it's going to cost to unlock it. And if you're, going to un, if you're going to understand how much it's going to cost, you have to think about the executional elements of it as right. well as yeah. the, um, the strategic elements of it. Yeah. But just, you know, at the end of the day, making some simple choices because one of the key variables that comes out of a good portfolio strategy is making choices around where you're going to allocate your resources. Which, which brands get the most money? 
which brands get no money? If, if budgets get cut, who do I take it off? And knowing that a CFO is going to cut your budget every single year is a, is a I shouldn't say every single year, well, every single year that you're not achieving growth targets by 10%, right. your budgets are going to get cut. Which has always intrigued me. We can come back to that one because that's the biggest, I think, one of the biggest travesties of, of growth. Yeah. And we can talk to that. Um, and there was some stuff that came out on that from Eringberg Bass. I think I sent it yep. to you the other week. Yep. Um, but if you, if you think about the, the, um, the, the total portfolio, yep. you want to you allocate your resources. You want to know what you're going to cut when you're going to cut it. You want to know where you're going to invest, where you're going to invest, where you're going to double down and where you're not. Also, where are you going to put your best people? Hmm. You know, you're not going to, you know, are you going to put your best people on the brands that fly high every single day? You're going to put your best people on the biggest challenges. And, and that's another fundamental flaw I see happening time and time again. The most prestigious job with the best person is probably the easiest job in the business to do. Exactly. Right. All back to CEB. I mean, there was just momentum associated with so many of their brands. That's right. I remember one of the, one of the CMOs who's there well before you were there, Andrew, who said, well, the number one thing I've got to do is make sure no one does anything right. <laughs> <laughs> on, on VB, I think it was. It's like, my job is to stop anything happening. That's right, spot on. <laughs> got it. I always love that. Hey, uh, tell me, CFOs, right? Yeah. So uh, it, it, it's always intrigued a lot of us, of course, um, that marketing is working in particular to a budget in an ad sense yep. the an advertising budget's working um and then the bad budget starts to get cut and you go hang on why would you why would you reduce when you know it's working because in the simplest world the cfo is running on a um his his objective and especially if you if you're working in, in Australia as part of a big multinational organisation, yeah, his objective is to get budget this year, yeah. And they and, and they say that he you know you've got a hand and you've got a hand in total shareholder returns. He goes, he goes, yeah, maybe I've got a hand in total shareholder returns, but Australia's Australia's going to maximum five percent, whichever. It's yeah. not going to change the world greatly, but right. I won't have a job if I don't get budget this year. Right, okay. And so their their mindset will always be on what do I have to do this year to get this year's number. And what does that mean to the share price this year? Yeah. Not what is the future value of the organisation and where does the future value exist? So, so tell me about the mix between, let's say, trade spend and then consumer spend. And so that fight um, that you would have had to have had a million times. Yeah. So how do you, how, well, I don't know what the right mix is. I don't even know what my question is. But this, So if you've got $100, um, obviously the trade people want money uh, and I'm not going to get on the shelf if I don't have it. Yep. Um, and so, and without distribution, then the consumer can't buy it anyway. So I suppose, what does it matter if you're advertising it or not? <laughs> if it's not on shelf, don't bother advertising it. Yeah, yeah you're throwing money away. Yeah. But if it is on shelf, advertise it, and then you'll be able to sell it at a higher price. Right. The thing about trade spend is it's typically a percentage. All right, it's a percentage of sales. Right. Marketing is a dollar expenditure. Finance directors look at dollars. They don't look so – well, they're measuring percentages, but they bank dollars. Right, okay. All right, so if the percentage of sales for trade spend is increasing, but there's a total dollar amount available, uh-huh. where do I take it from? Okay, yeah. And I can pull it out of – I can't. if I take it out of the trade spend, mm. then sales are going to go back immediately. Is this one of the issues with, let's say, ad spend, is that it's seen as variable? Yeah. Right. And is, is it in the cost of goods sold? 
it's in the it's in the marketing expenses line. It's yeah. not in the it's not in the cogs. No, it's not in the. It's cogs. actually not even doesn't even make it into the cogs. It's in That's the line right. afterwards, yeah. which is the marketing line. It's below the line, right? That's right. Whereas the trade spend is in the revenue line. It's fascinating. So you can you 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 if you if you sell more, you get more trade spend. Your cost of goods go down yep. because you're selling more because you're becoming more efficient. Yeah. But your marketing stays the same or goes down. Exactly. It never. It rarely, if ever, will go up. But the paradox out of all of that is that if you go back to the experience over price, you know, value equals experience over price, the only way you build experience is by innovating or advertising. Mm. You build brand, you build image, you build warmth, you, right. build, you build a relationship with what people are consuming. They feel better about it. If they feel better about it, they pay more. Or alternatively, if they become used to doing that, if yep. that's just what they do because it's the easiest decision to make in a world of complex decision-making everywhere, and I just want to take one crappy decision out of my life, right. and if I keep that decision going because of the level of advertising, the promotion I've been doing, you can sell it forever much, as much as you want to. Right. And I think, I think that's what we're seeing happening now in, in some of the brewers, for instance. Some of the brewers have realised that you know, some of those brands which used to be cheaper, they can sell for a higher price because guys are more loyal to them. <laughs> okay. Now, innovation, I think, is interesting. So, um, and maybe just another observation. So just tell me, tell me where, where I stand on this one. Innovation, a lot of time, money and effort goes into innovation. Yes. Uh, in order to, you know, put an extra peanut in the, in the bar, yep. right? Yep. Huge. Yep. Um, whereas making a piece of advertising is innovative and yet way less expensive. It strikes me that the let's call it the pendulum has gone too far into in, into innovation at a product sense, and nowhere near enough innovation in a creative execution sense. Discuss. Yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no. Um, innovation is never fully costed. Right. I think there's one of the the, the drivers of the scenario you speak to. Yeah. Innovation is never fully costed. It touches every part of the organisation and it uses a little bit of everybody's time but not all of anyone's time. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. So, so in that world, how do you work out how much it costs you to put that extra peanut in that chocolate bar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right? And where does it come from? The only cost that the, the project manager, who will be the brand manager, who's decided to put an extra peanut in that chocolate bar, the only cost he takes out of his marketing budget... Mm-hmm is a little bit of research and the cost of the packaging. Yeah. And maybe a little tag at the end of the ad saying, bang, more peanuts. Well, no, now with extra nut. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, I th- which I sort of weirdly think would work. <laughs> didn't you do that? Didn't you, didn't you do that for Picnic? Wasn't that you? <laughs> no, we did a great campaign for Picnic. It was uh, online. It was, actually the, it was actually, I'm going to suggest it was the first... Um, Let's call it social social media build brand campaign. In that we got people to eat a picnic live on camera, <laughs> and um, and it, it actually harked right back to an original. Um, do you remember the commercial when we were kids? With the Indians are coming. Yes, right. Yes, and so he couldn't talk. He couldn't talk, and so that was actually the where the where the idea that we did ten years ago came from the ad that was running in probably nineteen seventy five. Yeah, Fantastic. right. Which I think is maybe a truth. It's certainly a truth for me. Um, in a brand com sense, you'll find the answer in the past. That's a guarantee. 
That is that that is absolutely to be true. And and if you want to really get into the answer in the past, mm. the pioneer brand, the pioneer brand in any category, typically is the market leader, mm-hmm. and the pioneer brand owns the category proposition. Well, indeed. Well, in fact, yes, yes. Yeah. Pretty much in every circumstance. It's a bit chicken and egg in a way, though, isn't it? But anyway, yes, I agree with you. But you only became, and this backs to the innovation conversation, right? Yeah. yeah. You only become the pioneer brand by doing it first. Yes. And, 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 and so, therefore, if you think about the value that's been created in those pioneer brands to today, you know, nice. look, at, look at Procter & Gamble as an organisation. It is just a, it is just a, a, um, a, a conglomerate of pioneer brands. Yeah, yeah. And, and as soon as they start falling away, they get rid of them and they buy new Pioneer brands. And they just have Pioneer brands because they know Pioneer brands have got the greatest momentum mm. and the greatest level of loyalty because they're the ones that people bought first. And even if the Pioneer brand was created 200 years ago, it is still pretty much the leader today. Yeah. Look in, well, in developed market, look in the USA, smartphones. Pioneer brand sells mm. for double the price of everything else. Yeah, yeah. But the iPhone is still by far the biggest selling phone in the United States. It's all, it also interests me that, um, a, let's call it a latent brand, they can ignite quite easily um, the thought that's sort of rummaging around in the consumer's brain. Yes. It doesn't take yeah. a lot of effort. No, no. It's so no. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's there. You just have to find it, put it up and go. And that's that whole mental availability, physical, physical availability conversation that's, yeah. that's, that's de rigueur now. And, and build that mental availability by bringing that thing about the brand to the front of front of your consciousness yep. or even to the front of your subconsciousness yeah. and it will land. Well, Tui's has just, just done, I feel like a Tui's. They've brought that back, <laughs> I feel like a Tui's or Tui's. They've right. just brought that back, which is, I think, fascinating. Now, let's go back to the beginning of the conversation because you sort of alluded to um, you know, let's call it a redefinition of marketing. So when yep. we when we were when we first got involved in this world, yep, um, we were taught marketing is about the price, the product, the place, yeah, the promotion. Exactly. It does appear that that is no longer how it's seen. No, that marketing is purely one of the P's. Yes. Right. The promotional P. The promotional P. Yeah, because the price is the CFO mm-hmm. or the revenue management team. Right. The product is the um, is the supply chain guy? Um, the place is the sales guy. Yeah, or the or the logistics guy, and so the only P that's left is the promotional thing. And is that because the market has just gone to the shiny thing as well? Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. And so and and it, and it's just fueling itself back because if you go you go into a lot of organisations, they talk about the marketing department as the as the colouring in department. Yes, I've heard that. It's 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 the most <laughs> it's the travesty of all yeah. to think that the. The number one creator of, of total shareholder returns. Of value, yep. And of value and of future value of an organisation, mm-hmm. which is the value that you get from your brand, is considered to be colouring in. I've heard you talk about um, certainty of cash flow. Yep, fundamental. Yeah, tell us fundamental. about that. Well, any, any, any organisation, its value is a function of the, the, the net present value of future cash flows. Mm-hmm. Speak to any finance director, speak to any investor. How much are the future cash flows? So then you think, okay, so how do you define what those future cash flows are going to be? The best future cash flows are contracted. Okay, I have a contract. Yep. Rock hard, I'm going to sell this stuff for X amount of dollars for X amount of period into the future. Mm. I can do a discounted cash flow on that. That's the value of that contract. Got it. All right. 
The next one is I have exclusive supply. I've got a monopoly mm-hmm. on a product. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Now I've got a monopoly. Demand is X. No one else can sell it. There's some walls around it. And I can keep that going and that's going to be my product mm-hmm. forever and a day. I don't have to do anything. I'll be happy with that. Right. Or I should have said moat. There's a moat around it. it. Yeah. yeah. That's the modern language. No, it's like I own a piece of intellectual property now mm. that is unique. I have, I have a patent around that intellectual property. Right. I'm, allowed, I'm allowed to extract the value from that until that patent expires. That has value. Yep. That creates value. Okay. Most organisations don't have either of those things. Most organisations have relationships with their customers. The customers trust what they buy from, their, from that, those companies mm-hmm. and the way they determine and navigate through that trust relationship is the brand. Right, exactly. And the brand, therefore, becomes the definition of the relationship that those consumers have with the organisation. And a brand manager fosters and nurtures that relationship. So the most important thing that happens in the business is the relationship with your customers. The most important person in that world is the person that nurtures that relationship. And we, as an Australian, or most Australian organisations, don't respect that relationship. Right, yes, I know. Ah, dear. All right, so um, things that we know to be true. So, well, we know that the brand actually can constitute value. So yes. we know that that's true. Yep. Um, and I do like the notion of it's a contract. Uh, maybe it's a small C contract with customers, oh, but oh. still it's a contract. Yep. Uh, and we also know that price is the most important factor. Yep. Because it's a common, it's where value lies. Yes. We know that a gap analysis is a good idea. Fundamental. Doing a UNA is a good idea. If you don't know what's happening, how can you go? How can you solve for it? In particular, use growth scope if you need a UNA. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Good. Uh, some old-fashioned charts, like doing a who, what, why, when, how. Fundamental. Is not a bad idea. Um, what else have we discussed? Get yourself some sales experience. If you, I'll give you another one, yeah, my please. last one. If you don't write a good brief, yeah, because you haven't got time to write a good brief, yeah, well, you know. you're going to be wasting a hell of a lot more time in the future. Okay. But how do you know it's a good brief? <laughs> a good brief is uh, is you know what you want to achieve. Yeah, it's okay. You know what your outcome needs to be. Mm-hmm. You know what the metrics are going to be behind that outcome. Yep. You know what the parameters are. What what can you do and what should you keep away from? Mm. Um, and you give the person, the 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 creative team or the plan or whoever, the freedom to know that you can. To I want to get to here, and to get to here, you can do it within these constraints within this budget and on this timetable and give me the best way to get there. I like it. Now, the the thing that I always found most interesting with regard to clients and briefs and agencies is, let's call it the constraints part. So you'll have a, you'll have a client that says, I want you to smack this out of the park. And sm- of course, right? Yeah. But, but, and I want you to be different. I want you to be creative. I want you to show me something I've never seen before, which is exciting. But what I found is actually very rarely is actually that's actually what the client wants because what they think is different, smashing it out of the park, new and creative is not what the seller thinks is different, new, creative and going to smash it out of the park. Would this be the fundamental point of tension, let's call it that? Yeah, I think. Well, the fundamental point of tension is who owns the risk. Yeah, Yeah, well, and we know who that is. Who owns the risk? Yes. And, and it comes back to the fundamental point of tension within an organisation. If an organisation doesn't foster creativity, 
If an organisation makes its choice that if you have a shot and it doesn't work, you're gone, yep. then the organisation will impart on the person giving the brief there is no opportunity for you to take a creative risk. Yes, exactly. And if there's no opportunity for you to take a creative risk, therein lies this challenge. I want you to give me great creativity, yeah. but I haven't got the internal fortitude to take the punt. Right. Because at the end of the day, if it works, mm. I'm a hero. Right. But the probability that it will fail yeah. is higher. Right. So I suppose what I would say, what, uh, what I think is a, um, what I know to be true, is really prosecute, really, so you've talked about the brief, I would say really prosecute the brief yeah. like with, with your client uh, for ha- perhaps um, an, un- an, an uncomfortably long time. That's correct. <laughs> it's, like, it's like if you ask the question, what is, what is the job of a managing director mm. in, a, in, a, in a division of a global organisation? And his number one capability is to negotiate a good budget. Yes. The job of a good account director is to negotiate a good brief. Yes, yeah, 100%. Hey, this is Freddie as we introduced. Freddie, have you got a question for Andrew? Righto, let's do it. Thanks, Russ, and thank you, Andrew. Um, So I'm, you know, across all my sort of learning at the moment, I'm drowning in frameworks and metrics and different types of analyses. Um, So I was wondering with everything that you know, if we could play a game of underrated and overrated um, (laughs) for a metric, a framework or a type of analysis. Sure. So let's uh, let's go with underrated. Have you got one in mind? Underrated is a BCG analysis. Oh, yeah. Or well, can I have my underrated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spon- can I hear what a BCG is? A Boston Consulting Group. BCG, Stars, Cash Cow, yeah, right. yeah. Um, et cetera. Um, my underrated would be spontaneous brand awareness. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you could, I reckon you could argue that's the only number that matters. Yep. yep. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. And, <laughs> and, well, if you want to go to the other underrated on that one is um, – is, is, Net, net promoter score. Yes. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Righto. What else? Uh, overrated. I thought you were going to actually give it to us. Like, well, no, it? you guys know it, all of them. All right. So overrated. Overrated. SWOT analysis. Ah. Oh. Nice. SWAT really? Analysis. Yeah. That's a, it's a load of crap, really. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Hey, Andrew, great to chat to you. No worries. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Thanks Russell. Man.